Well, hey, Hope City. It's great to be with you today. I uh, hope you see this great church merch and you yourself are going to order something, represent your church. It's good stuff. Uh, we have started this wonderful new series called Wanderings and looking at the journey of the Israelites as they leave slavery and enter the promised land. But they spend in between that 40 years wandering the desert and we can see ourselves relating to them in their journey as we're wandering through our deserts of life, uh, spiritual deserts, relational deserts, emotional deserts, financial deserts, uh, all these types of deserts and wanderings and confusion and uncertainty that we are in. And I'll tell you, the passage that was just read, you, you got a moment to just kind of soak in that and, and rest in that. It was a longer passage, but as we read it together, I think it's valuable, but I wrestled with this passage all week long. I think it's a difficult one for me to teach on because I really looked at it and thought and prayed a lot about, God, how do we talk about this and truly represent the heart of God and help help people in this season, right? Because the tension here is this passage could easily become misrepresented. It could be a message of have enough faith, believe big enough, and God will pour out manna from heaven right? Not on the floor and on the ground, but he's going to pour out a, a manna from heaven into your cupboards or into your checking account. And all you got to do is believe big enough and have enough faith. And, and man, I wrestle with that because it feels like it starts to, to get on the verge of this message that really isn't going to bring hope. It's going to bring discouragement because is that what this text is really all about? As we look at the Israelites and they're on their journey, it's not a passage of them having enough faith or believing big enough. As you look at the start, they're not trusting God enough, right? There's a scarcity of resources. People are hungry. Uh, people are, are, are complaining and whining and they're saying, God, why did you bring us out to the desert? You're going to bring us out here to die. What's going on? We want to eat some meat. We're tired of this stew. And, and that's not faith. That's whining. They're just complaining. They're whining to God. But the Israelites' reaction is a very human reaction. In our seasons of wandering, we often will focus on what we don't have. What we consider to be a, a time or an area of lacking, and, and that becomes a need. And we look at that need and say, God, you need to fill my need, right? You need to complete this or, or fulfill this or, or meet me here in this. And we begin to worry and to stress about that, right? You've heard the analogy of, of a glass being half empty, right? You got a glass of water. And I don't know if you can see that well enough. There it is, right? Some of you would look at that. You'd say, oh, it's half full. Some would say it's half empty. I'll tell you what, when we're in a season of wandering, it's not half empty. It's just empty. Like we don't look at it as, uh, oh, well, I got at least a little bit. No, we just look at it as straight up like it's empty, right? There's just nothing in that glass for me. And that's what the Israelites are doing. They literally do have food. And you don't see it necessarily in the passage part that we just read. But just prior to that, they do have food. But when they look at what they got, it's not good enough. And so to them, their glass is empty. God, we came out here to die. You're killing us. And we're starving and we're hungry. And I wonder how many of us are in a season of wandering and we're looking at what we lack. When it comes to time money, resources, is there ever enough? Is there ever enough? It's easy for us to over 
uh, overgeneralize. God, you just aren't giving me enough. We exaggerate. We, we look at it and say, it's empty. God has been providing and showing up in different ways. But, but you know what? When I look at it, God, this is what I see. It's not enough. And I want you to think about it right now. I want you to be honest with yourself. And I want you to be honest with God and, and, and even candid and honest with me. What are areas of your life that are represented by this empty class right now? Where do you feel a season of lacking? What are you worried about right now and needing God to, to, to answer? What are those needs? Where are those provisions? What are the things that you're crying out to God for and, and just stressing out about? I want you to think about that, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write some ideas down here. And I've got a few, but I want you to think about what would you represent with this class? Would it be, you know, some are just stressed about housing. They're wondering, you know, how they're going to pay rent, how they're going to pay their mortgage, uh, where they're going to live. Maybe you're considering moving or something like that. You can see that there, right? Yeah, you can kind of see that, right? Or you're worried about your job and your employment. Maybe uh, you, you just got a decrease in hours or... Uh, you're, you're looking for new employment. You're considering a new job. You're just wondering what you're going to do. You're worried about uh, tuition because you've got kids and you've got to pay for, for tuition. And that is freaking you out and stressing you out. Uh, you're just worried about, you know, paying bills. Man, oh man, it feels like sometimes those bills just, just can, can, can be a tsunami if you will. And we're just wondering how we're going to pay those bills. We're going to look at all of those things and wonder, God, are you going to show up? God, are you going to do this? God, will this post-it note even stick to the glass? There it is. There it sticks. There, there we go. Uh, I, I want you to think for yourself. What would you write? If I give you a post-it note and a glass, what would you write on there? The things that you're worried about, you're stressing about. Man, oh man, what are you contending for God to do in your life? And, and these areas are things that we don't have answers to. Things that we don't know how it's going to be figured out. We can't always figure it out. We can't always see the results right in front of us. But I'll tell you what, this glass represents the things in life that we're freaking out about. We're freaking out about these things. We're panicked. We're stressed. We're overwhelmed. These things are keeping us up at night and we're crying about it. We're whining about it. We're asking God about it. And how are you going to get me this new job? How are you going to provide for my kids? How are you going to put food in my cupboards? How are you going to put clothes on my back? What am I going to do about transportation? My car keeps breaking down. What would you write on here? And I, I, I would venture to guess that many of us are overwhelmed and, and anxious about an area of life right now. And we wonder how to engage our faith. We think about these situations, these, these things that stress us out, jobs, bills, housing, tuition, transportation, whatever it is, time, money, resource. And we, we want more. We need God to show up more. We, we think we need God to show up more. And we wonder in these moments, how do we engage our faith? Where, where does faith intersect in this moment? And as you look at the Israelites in the desert, this moment with the Israelites is not a story of them having this great faith to, to start off with, right? It's not have more faith, get your wish list fulfilled. This is a story of God seeing them in their worry, seeing them in their stress, and he shows up in their anxiety. We see this in Exodus 16, verse 12. It says, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Notice it doesn't say, I have seen this momentous, incredible faith 
on behalf of the Israelites. No. He says, I've heard your complaints. I've heard your grumbling. And God shows up and he shows them a mercy and he shows them a, a grace and a generosity, a compassion. He's not angry. Scholars will dissect this passage. And at this point, when he shows up with manna and with quail, right, he's a loving, generous God. He's not angry. And he blesses them with this provision, this miraculous provision of quail and manna. And I say it's a miracle and it's not a result of their faith, right? I think that's important. It's a result of his love. I'm not overselling this. I believe this is a miracle. Look at the, the situation here in, in 16, chapter 16, verse 13 through 16, and tell me, is this not a miracle? As you just begin to look at this text, that evening the quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the, around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Well, they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This manna. He provides them this, this, this flock of quail that come through so they can eat meat. Their request was for meat. God says, all right, I'll bless you with that. Right? But, but then he, 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 he gives them this miraculous blessing of manna, this flaky wafer type bread with a honey flavor. And they don't understand what it is. In fact, in the Hebrew, that phrase, what is it, actually sounds like the phrase manna. I don't speak Hebrew, but if you were speaking Hebrew and it was the phrase, what is it? It sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for manna. And, and so that's where they get this word or this phrase. And this manna is actually foreshadowing what? It's foreshadowing their future destination, the promised land that is often described as a land flowing with milk and honey. They're eating this manna and it is a, it is a foretaste. It is a Costco sampling of what's coming. And so it is with this association of the morning dew and it coming from above and manna begins to be described as this, this bread from heaven. This is something that God has given them. That's a miracle. God has miraculously blessed them and shown up and provided for them in this way. Even the stipulations and the procedures that God has for them kind of puts this in a miraculous context as you look at the way that they have to gather right? Gather only what you need for your family. We see this in verse 16. As he says, if you've got a lot of people in your family, gather a lot. If you've got a few people, gather a few, right? But you're going to use these terms of measurements and you're going to gather. And if you need a lot, take a lot. If you don't need a lot, don't take a lot. And guess what? Everyone had enough. Is that not a miracle? All these people wandering through the deserts. I mean, hundreds of thousands, counting women and children, you're looking at close to a million people wandering the desert and God is providing enough for the big families and the small families. That's a miracle. When he says to only gather it one day at a time, in verse 19, he says, right? Only gather what you're going to eat for that day. Don't keep it overnight because what's going to happen? It's going to get rotten. It's going to get gross. It's going to stink. You're going to have to throw it out. So he says, just trust me and begin to gather each day. You see this in verse 19, right? There, that, that's a miracle that every day there was a fresh supply of this manna laid out, waiting for them to gather it up. And then even more miraculous is the stipulation about the Sabbath. Did you notice that when that was read? That on, on Fridays, going into their Saturday Sabbath, they would actually have to gather double the amount so that they could truly rest on Saturday. That is incredible. In verse 22 and 23, when he lays out this stipulation, right? 
that it's not going to rot. All the other days, if you kept it overnight, it would get rotten and maggot-filled and gross, and it would stink. But not on the Sabbath. Like, that is a miracle that they could gather twice as much. It would only for that day last a little bit longer, and it would get them to that Sabbath so they could rest and just be with God and not have to work, and they could be refreshed and recharged. These are miracles. As you look at this moment, God is miraculously providing for them. But it's not because of their faith. So if it's not because of this incredible faith that they have, why does God show up and do the miraculous for them? Why does God do that? He says it in verse 12. After laying out this this idea and and saying, hey, I heard you whining. I heard you complaining. Uh, There's going to be meat. There's going to be bread, things like that. Verse 12, he says, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. You're going to see that God is alive, that he is active, right? That he is not quiet and distant and dormant. They're going to see that God is powerful, even in a desert time, a time of wandering, a time of distance, a time of scarcity. God is powerful, even in those moments. That they're going to have an awareness of God's character. They're going to have an awareness that the Lord that they worship is the true creator God that can control all of creation. They're going to have a knowledge of God. They're going to have a closeness with God. You see, God is even implementing these gathering stipulations and procedures because God is training them and challenging them to obey and daily obey and develop this relationship of what? Dependence. Would you depend on me? Would you follow me? Would you stay in step with me? Would you do this on a daily basis? And in doing so, would you begin to develop a trust in me? Would you find your strength in me? To find your sustenance, to find your strength in more than whatever your gut desires. Don't just fill your stomach and let your stomach be the driving force. Find your strength in God. We see this told in Deuteronomy 8.3 when God is talking and he's talking about the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, he humbled you. Moses is writing on behalf of God and talking about how God interacts with Israel. He humbled you, causing you to be hungry and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, Moses is writing on behalf of God in Deuteronomy to say, hey, hey guys, remember all this manna we've been eating, right? It's to develop this trust that whatever God is saying, wherever God is leading, whatever God is doing, that is what sustains us. That is what energizes us to our core, to our soul, not the things of today. Not the things that are stressing us out. We think these things are going to sustain us. These are going to fulfill us. These are going to complete us. And what God is teaching them is your stomach is not going to satisfy you. Learn to be satisfied by the word of the Lord. Learn learn to be satisfied by this closeness in relationship with God. And as you're, you're reading that, It is very reminiscent of some of the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus quotes that passage we just read when he is tempted in the desert. But then later on during his message, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, he's recorded as talking about this idea of worry. The very things that are stressing us out, the things that are worrying us. And listen to the words of Jesus. And I want you to think about your your glass with all its post-it notes, but I also want you to think about 
the Israelites in the desert and, and, and the manna that they are uh, experiencing each day. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, so do not worry. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows what you need. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will have enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is speaking to this audience during the Sermon on the Mount. And, and these words to me just echo the very thing God is teaching the people of Israel while they're wandering the desert. What are you freaking out about? What are you worried about? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? And he says, let's not worry about those things. Think about the audience that Jesus is talking to. He is talking to a predominantly poor audience of people that don't know where their next meal's coming from. Don't have closets full of clothes that they don't wear. Don't have pantries full of food that they don't eat. He's talking to a group of people where they would literally wrestle with those questions. What are we going to eat next? Where are we going to get some, something to drink? What should we wear? And they are worried about these things. You see, I'm worried about things in life too. I'm worried about why I wrote tuition on here. I'm worried about how I'm going to pay tuition for three little kids. 10 to 15 years from now, I'm wondering how in the world are we going to pay for three kids to go to college? I'm stressing out about that. I'm stressing about something that's 10 to 15 years from now. And that doesn't diminish my worry or my stress, but that is a legitimate worry and concern. And I'm looking to God saying, okay, God, how are we going to do this? The audience that Jesus is talking to, they're not stressed about something 10 to 15 years from now. They're stressed about something that's 10 to 15 hours from now. When am I going to eat next, Jesus? When am I going to drink next, God? This could be for them a matter of life or death. And so he's speaking about this idea of worry. And this idea of saying, do not worry about these things. Because worry is an indicator of distrust. That I'm stressed that I don't think God is going to come through. God isn't going to put food in my cupboards. God isn't going to put, you know, uh, clothes on my back. He's not going to put shelter over my head. I don't believe God's going to provide the tuition that I need to send my kids to school. We begin to stress and worry and try to control these things and figure these things out. We carry that anxiety on our shoulders and it is an indicator of our distrust towards God. That worry is turning us so inward. That's the thing. Worry gets our focus to turn inward. We look at what we don't have, we look at what we need, we look at what we want. It's all me, 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 me. And worry is turning us inward. And in this passage, Jesus is trying to shift their focus. Don't turn inward, but turn upward. Shift your focus upward. Because what does he say? Right? What does he say? Your heavenly father knows what you that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness, 
Shift your perspective upward and begin to allow the kingdom of God to be your first priority, your main focus, your main perspective, the thing you think about, the thing that gives you sustenance, that gives you fulfillment, that gives you purpose, the thing that brings you life. Jesus is trying to challenge them. Shift your focus from inward to upward. God is trying to do this very same thing with the people in Israel. As they're wandering around the desert, Right? They're shifting inward. My tummy is hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm ba-ba-do-ba-do-ba-doo. And what is God trying to do? Shift your focus upward. He says, I'm doing this. I'm providing them with manna and with quail to do what? So that they'll know that the Lord is their God. Shift their focus upward. God is trying to lift our eyes off of ourself and off of our worries and off of our stresses and off of our finances and begin to put more trust in him than in anything else. And here's the thing. It's not just about shifting upward. Here's the cool part too. He's shifting, as he's shifting it from being inward, he's shifting your perspective upward, and he's also allowing you to begin to see onward. If you lift your eyes, you begin to see where you're headed, right? It's a huge part of having to teach our kids how to ride their bike is all they wanted to do. Every one of them, when they, when they learned to ride a bike, where do they look? They look at their feet. They look at their feet and they're looking down, trying to pedal and they're looking at their feet and we'd have to remind them, look up, look up. You're going to run off the path. You're going to run into bushes. You're going to hit a tree. You're going off the sidewalk. You're going to crash. Why? Look upward. And as they look upward, they're able to also see onward. And God is trying to get their attention off of themselves. Me, 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 me. They're just pedaling and looking at themselves. Me, 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 my stomach, my needs, myself, my, 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 my. And God is trying to shift their attention upward and onward. Get their eyes on God and get their eyes on where God is leading them. And that is to the promised land. Jesus is doing the very same thing. Be consumed with what? Get your focus on what? Get your focus on his kingdom. Get your focus on his mission. And as he takes you onward in that mission to go and make disciples, that is what will sustain you. Doing what God has called you to do, that is what is really going to sustain you and bring you life. This stuff, it's not going to ever fulfill us. And yet we allow our focus to be purely on this. As Jesus is saying this, right? What does he say? You know, you, you've got to learn to trust him and follow him and, and God will take care of the details. That's what he says, right? And like continue to do this. And he, God knows what you need. God knew that the Israelites needed food. And yet the Israelites were so inwardly focused, they complain. As if God led them out of slavery and said, ah, I think they can go 40 years without a little bit of food. No, God knew what they needed. He, he was going to provide them the sustenance necessary. And we see this. As Nehemiah talks about their journey through the desert, he, he kind of gives a, 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 a big, broad perspective picture of what was going on. And we see Nehemiah's description of Israel wandering through the desert. It depicts exactly what Jesus is saying. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the details. Seek him, follow him, God will take care of it. Nehemiah 9, 19 through 21. This is Nehemiah's depiction of the people of Israel. He says, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert, them being the Israelites. You, God, did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar 
of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from, the ma from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing, and their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. That last one right there, God has led them through, right? They've continued to follow him, keep their eyes on him, continue to, to go in that direction, and, and God took care of the rest. He fed them for 40 years on this manna, stuff they had never seen before. And when they get to the promised land, they don't eat manna anymore. But that 40 years of journey, God provided. Didn't even wear out their sandals. Did you catch that when Nehemiah says that? That's incredible provision. God knows what we need. God is not oblivious to these needs. He knows they need to do this. He's aware of what's going on. And God is trying to show Israel through this moment that he is faithful. But instead of trusting God, the Israelites decide to test God. Instead of trusting in God, the Israelites end up testing God. We see this in the Psalms when it talks about their journey through the desert in Psalm 78, 18. It says they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food that they craved. Like they tested him because they didn't have enough, right? We see it in the passage of, uh, of chapter 16 in Exodus that was read earlier and the ways that they responded, right? You've got all this manna all over and their responses show the, they're, they're not trusting in God. They're testing to see if what God said is really going to happen because what did they do? They hoarded right? They were hoarders. They were just consumers and they were just keeping a little bit extra and maintaining a surplus and going and going. And we see that, right? And they, they, it says, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. We also see that they break the Sabbath, right? One of the stipulations was rest on the Sabbath, but instead some of them, it says in verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. In both scenarios, whether they're hoarding or whether they're overworking, what's happening? These people are not trusting in God. They're testing. Is God really going to supply us enough to take a day off? I don't know. I'm going to put this. I'm going to challenge this. I'm going to test. I'm going to see if this is real. They're testing God. They're not trusting God. They're not believing that what God said is going to come to pass. They're not trusting that God is faithful to understand their needs. They're testing it. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're controlling it on their own. Thinking as if, well, if I don't save a little surplus, God might forget about me and I might go a little hungry. Maybe he won't provide some tomorrow. So I'm going to hoard a little bit extra here. See, their behavior shows that they're not trusting God. They're not dependent upon God. The psalm was right. They're testing God. In fact, later in chapter 17 of Exodus, after a moment where God provides for them a miraculous supply of water. It says this in 17.7. They tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're testing him. They're not trusting him. What they're really saying is, God, if you're really with us, then you need to give us blank. See what they're doing? They're testing him. God, if you were really present with us, if you really let us out of Israel, you can imagine him just kind of looking up at the sky. If you really got us out of Egypt to get us into this desert place, if you're really with us, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, well, then you're going to give us meat. You're going to give us water. You're going to give us food. You're going to give us plank. That's a test. 
like the Israelites, I think we look at our glass that is half empty or in some of our perspectives, completely empty. And I think we turn these situations and these worries and these stresses into the very same tests the Israelites did. God, if you truly love me, then you'll blank. God, if you are truly real, then you were going to provide blank. See, that's a prayer of testing God. That's not, there's no trust in that. God, if you're worth trusting, then please give me blank. Testing is not trusting. The approach of this kind of testing, this, this is an ultimatum. This is trying to control God, trying to manipulate God, trying to get God to do what your stomach wants, what your flesh wants. We aren't interested in following God. We want God to follow us. And this is not going to foster the close relationship that God desires. God desired this with the people of Israel. Jesus desires this with us. He wants this close relationship. And I understand we all got things represented on this glass. Things that we would write down and post on here. Finances, jobs, bills, housing, schedule. You know, we got all kinds of things that this glass represents that we're worried and we're stressed about. And I want us to pray about them. But I don't want to pray about it in a way where we are testing God. God, if you love me, do this. God, if you're real, show me and do this. No, I don't want to pray like that. I want to pray in a way that does develop trust. That develops a reliance on God. Trusting or relying that God really does know what I need. He knows what I need. He knows what's on the cards. And I'm going to pray about it. But I'm going to live so open-handedly. And if he chooses to give that, great. Hallelujah. I'm going to be thankful and appreciative. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be grateful for that. But if he chooses not to answer my prayer in that way, I'm going to continue to live dependently upon him. Because he knows the road ahead better than I do. And he knows what I need better than I do. That's trusting him. Praying about these things in a way where it's not an ultimatum. But it says, God, I trust that you know better than I do. And I come asking. And I'm willing for you to say yes, no, or son. We're going to do that later. So... Let's take a moment. I want to just pray for whatever is going on in our lives. Can we do that, church? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you know the journey that each person is on right now. You know the areas of wandering that we are in. Relational, emotional, financial. You know the stresses that consume each person right now, God. And I thank you, God, that you know what's going on even more than we know ourselves. You see the broader picture. You know our true needs. And you know what we need for today. And I pray, God, that we learn to develop a close relationship with you. A dependent relationship with you. Not a tested relationship. Not a, not a transactional relationship 
God, we want closeness with you. And we trust you in the days ahead because you know best. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for those that need jobs, God. We pray the open doors. We pray for those who are, are, are just struggling financially. God, just begin to bring clarity, bring peace, bring provision. For those that are struggling in all these areas, God, that are represented by, by those in our church. Be the rock that we can, we can lean on right now. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.